Napa know-how. There are lots of amazing cars on the road, but perhaps none more amazing than the paid-off car. It may not be pretty, but the price is right. Heck, if you keep that thing running, it'll actually start paying you. Because with Napa Rewards, for every $100 you spend, you'll get $5 off. So keep your car running longer, stronger with Napa Rewards, and watch the savings start rolling in. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. You are locked on heat. Your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome to Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm here, as always, with David Ramil, and we are recapping the Miami Heat's 107-95 to loss to the Golden State Warriors, but it was a pretty close game for, for most of the game, uh, really until the 240 mark. Of the fourth quarter, it was a seven-point game with 2:40 left, and then the, the Warriors went on an 11 to one run. It the game kind of reminded me a lot of what the Heat used to do in the Big Three era, where those frustrating games, you know what I'm talking about, where it would just kind of always be a game, and it's like, why are we playing down to this competition? And all of a sudden, with three minutes left, they go on this insane run and put the game away, and the final score ends up being something like, you know, winning by whatever. Yeah, I mean, it was a combination of a lot of factors. I guess Miami was finally a, healthier than they've been in a, in a good long while. Um, they got some nice engaged individual performances there, I think. And on top of that, like you said, yeah, the Warriors, I think, do tend to suffer from the, the kind of regular season malaise we used to see during the Big Three era where they can't necessarily play at such a high level all the time. They went through it last year in their pursuit of 73 wins. And I think, you know, they they're learned they learned a lesson that it's exhausting to do that over the course of an 82-game stretch. So it's not necessarily important to stay fully engaged for 48 minutes on a random Tuesday night, especially against inferior competition. But they showed why they're arguably the best team in the league when they can pull away in the last two minutes of a game that's been, you know, closer than a lot of people expected. The Heat had a 54-53 to lead at halftime, and I thought that was the best half of basketball that they've played all season. And there's been a couple good ones here and there. They've scored as many as 62 points and a half. I think that was against the Wizards, if I'm not mistaken. But considering who the opponent was and leveraging the whole game, but really the first half, but they leveraged their strengths that they had, namely Hassan Whiteside and... The fact that the Heat have practiced running teams off the three-point line all season, I right. thought that combined with Whiteside in, in the paint, obviously, really gave them an advantage that with all of that and with the Warriors probably coming out and not taking the Heat as seriously as maybe they, they should have um, or shouldn't have, I don't know. But uh, with all that, I thought that was a really good um, half of basketball. I mean... It, the Heat shot 47.8% while missing, I think, like eight of their 11 three-pointers or seven of their 11 three-pointers in the first half. So a lot of those, a lot of that field goal percentage and a lot of their points came within the paint. They actually outscored the Warriors 58-36 to 36 in the paint, but that's a very contextualized number, especially considering that the Warriors tend to destroy teams from three-point range. I don't think that's something they necessarily care about, but... That said, the Heat did. They had a game plan, and that game plan was very clear in the first half, and really the whole game. But in the end, I mean, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Draymond Green—it's just too much. It is. 
I, if I recall correctly, I think at one point the Warriors were shooting four or fifteen from three point range, and and clearly that's when Miami's plan of running running players off the three point line and, and getting them uncomfortable um, along the perimeter seemed to be really working. But of course, they wound up finishing eleven of twenty seven for forty percent shooting, forty point seven percent to be exact. So at that point, so, they had gone six and thirteen after going four and f- four of fifteen or whatever you said. Right, exactly. Like so, that. yeah, yeah. They basically clearly like much half, more at least half their three pointers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All of a sudden, they remembered. Oh, wait, we've got three of the best. Well, two of the best shooters and, and a third and, and Draymond Green. You know, luckily, Golden State was without Clay Thompson. Who knows what would have happened then? But um, I think yeah, they they showed why they're among the the, the elites of the league, and uh, and they just have so much depth there, and not just that, but just it's a strong starting unit too. So complimentary pieces and, and a really I mean, a, a great uh, defensive performance from Zaza Pachulia. He seemed to be harassing Hassan Whiteside, despite the fact that Whiteside had a pretty good name as far as his overall production is concerned. Yeah, and I want to talk about Whiteside in a little bit, but I really want to just kind of lean into these positives because the Heat lost by whatever, 12 points, if I could do math. <clears throat> but yes. Nailed it. But um, that was, I think... I think the game was obviously much closer than that for most of the game. And there, as far as positives, I mean, Miami's defense was so good for most of this game. I mean, they ran these guys off the three-point line as much as they could. They, you know, they ended up taking more threes than the Warriors did, which is insane. Like, I never would have guessed that. The Heat ended up taking 33-pointers compared to Golden State's 27. And there was a, there was obviously an effort there for the Heat. They said we're gonna we're gonna play our defense. We're gonna run the Warriors off the line. We're gonna force we're gonna funnel them into Whiteside. But we're also gonna jack up a ton of threes because we know that they're gonna score regardless. And they did that. They only made six of thirty. They shot twenty percent from three point range because when you don't have the personnel, you don't have the personnel. And Luke Babbitt, who's supposed to be a three point shooter, goes zero of three, and that trend kind of continues throughout. You know, Deion Waiters goes zero of five. All these guys who are supposed to be decent shooters don't don't make their shots. But um, James Johnson, one of seven, he was shooting forty percent from three point range all year. Uh, you know, so but all that said, I thought that the Heat did a fantastic job defensively. There were a couple of three minute periods where they were actually able to hold the Warriors starters, like Durant and Curry. They were going to hold those guys scoreless for like three to four minute stretches a couple of times. There was a moment in in the second half, I think in the fourth quarter, where they went on a fourteen to four run and got it with, with yeah. three points, eighty five to eighty two, and that was because they were able to hold the Warriors scoreless. I mean, overall, regardless of the result, right? That was a really impressive showing on the road against the Warriors. Well, I mean, you know that they were going to bring their their best effort against the best team. That's we saw that on the opposite end when when during the big three era, you know, as we alluded to earlier, there were teams like you know really sub five hundred teams that wanted to play their best to to prove that we, they could hang with the the NBA's elite. So you knew that Miami was going to be somewhat engaged and 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 inspired on an occasion like this. You know, it's the last game of a the long Warriors are still and the Warriors are still beating teams by like 14 points a game, regardless of them having a target on their back. And right. and they right. were able that, to keep it to within 12. So that's a win. <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't work. I mean, we saw that during the the big 3 year. I mean, it, just because you want to play your best as an unit, you're necessarily going to get the result you want, but you're you're arguably going to play the best version of yourselves even if that's not particularly good and, and far less than what the Warriors can be. But um as far as the positives concerned, James Johnson's defense on Kevin Durant, yes. I think he was a really big part of why 
they were able to limit the, the kind of shooting that we expect from KD. Um, and and he, had, he had a really good, solid game overall. I know that the, the Warriors broadcasters were really impressed with his defense. And, and you know, there were some good performances. Tyler Johnson in particular, I think, was a, had a really strong game. And um, you know, But Whiteside, I think if you're going to say if there was one shining positive from tonight, it'd have to be Whiteside. Absolutely. 28 points, 20 rebounds, uh, two blocks, two assists. Both of them came in, in the, coming in the first half. I mean, he was 13-17, and, 17 and uh, yeah, the assist, two, uh, the, the rare double assist night. Um, <laughs> rare meaning, like, maybe it's happened one other time in his whole career. But, uh, you know, like I said, the Heat really went to him a lot, and it worked. I mean, no, they, you know... The Warriors don't have somebody that size with that strength, right? Like, Pachulia is strong. Draymond Green is strong. They're not nearly the size. They're not, you know, they don't nearly have the, the hops that Whiteside has. Whiteside can get off the ground. Durant is right. tall, but he's not going to be guarding Whiteside unless there was a weird switch. And it happened a, a, a handful of times. But Yeah, he, he's got the length to harass him, but not necessarily yeah. keep him from scoring at the rim. And one, a couple of things that I really liked from Whiteside it was more than just the heat going to him because he was bigger, right? He did a couple of things that I thought were really important. And um, a few of those things were understanding that the Warriors are going to try to swat the ball away from him. That, that It's a rangy team. It's a long team. that is They have really active hands. They try to force a lot of turnovers. Right. And they look at a guy like Whiteside and say, when he has the ball, swat it away from him. And this but surely he was able to do that at least once. I know that much. Yeah, he so, was. I, and so was, I, 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 what particular moment where uh, Whiteside was driving towards a hoop and, and Petulia cleanly peaked his pocket. That was a an impressive defensive play there. Right, and then Whiteside like shoved him over because he was frustrated, um, <laughs> which is like good move, Whiteside. Great job. Uh, so, but that was standing. That was like that one time when he, he like Whiteside probably shouldn't have had the ball where he did, but. Right. Um, Overall, when the the he fed him in the post, like he wasn't holding the ball. Like we've talked about, Whiteside holding the ball so much. I didn't really notice him doing that in this game. Like he either put a shot up or he got rid of it. And sometimes I get frustrated with Whiteside just pushing the shot the ball towards the rim immediately as soon as he gets it. But in this right. case, it was smart because otherwise the Warriors would have just grabbed it away from him. We've seen it time and time sure. again with the Warriors this season, and. And I thought that was really good. I also liked, and I've noticed this since he's come back from his eye thing, that. He's setting much better screens. <laughs> the eye thing, yeah. Maybe he can finally see that he's setting shitty screens. <laughs> yeah. <So laughs> or that he, he was, anyway. He was, and now he's setting much better screens. And there was one, in the first half, there was one screen he set for Dragic. And it was such a solid screen that I audibly just said, that's it. Oh, yeah. And Dragic went right to the rim and got an open layup. And it's like, that's the thing that happens when you set screens. And, of course, Whiteside didn't touch the ball on that, but I hope he understood the value in that. And maybe he is because, like I said, I've since he's come back in these last couple of games, I think he's doing a better job. Not unlike when he sat out with an injury, Amari Stoudemire took his job. Everybody praised, oh, Stoudemire sets such great screens. It's something the Heat don't have. And Willie Reed comes in for those four games and Whiteside's out. And everybody's like, oh, Reed is setting such great screens. It's something the Heat aren't used to. And he comes in and he's like, well, I'll show you. And maybe he's now setting better screens. We'll see how long it lasts. I'm wondering now because I saw a couple plays in the second half there where it seemed like he ran from the screen. He slipped the screen really, really quickly before he could actually even set it. And I'm wondering if that's almost by design. Like it doesn't seem like in one particular play where Dragic was on the elbow and he was he was the ball handler. And then Whiteside went to set the screen but just ran from it immediately and then. 
um, Bregic was able to curl and drive towards the hoop. And I'm wondering if they're either used to the fact that, you know, he's not going to set these screens or whether or not it's by design and maybe they can feel that they can create a mismatch that way or or, or force a defender to kind of, uh, you know, lose their balance or something along those lines. Cause well, they played, at a, they played at a much higher pace than what they're used to. I mean, the pace was at over 100. It was 100.7. And for the most part, they kept up with the Warriors. I thought that, I don't know if it was strategically saying, like, I think we can keep up with these guys, or if Spolstra was like, the hell with it. They'll, like, let's just go have fun and just try to shoot as many threes as we can. And play well, even the, the Warriors seemed like they were playing at a too fast a pace for themselves at one point, right? Even though they're used to playing at a much faster pace than Miami does, yeah. it seemed like they were playing maybe a little bit faster than they normally would have preferred, and they were rushing shots and things of that sort. Although it's it's hard to tell because that's a big part of their offense production. But, but to go, back to White, from, go back to Whiteside on that. My point was that I think that might have been by design. What you were mm-hmm. saying before was him slipping the screen, just because that's kind of a thing that fast pacer teams, faster paced teams like to do, and right. maybe that was by design. And I know that the slip screen is something that is often. Um, generously used with Whiteside as far as him just not screening and just calling it a slip screen, but I thought maybe a couple times it was just because of the way the Warriors were able to rotate. Maybe you just want to get him rolling to the rim just a beat faster. I don't know. And I saw on a on a few a handful of plays, particularly in the second half again, where I think something that had been missing for most of the season when it comes to Whiteside is that he was catching lobs and I think his teammates were looking to feed him at the rim and it was really effective. I guess either he was, you know, I guess Petrulia is, is, you know, taught to, to kind of uh, defend the ball handler, especially when, when somebody curls around um, the baseline, like Dragic just wants to do, or Tyler Johnson in a couple of occasions that worked with Dion. I even think it worked with James Johnson at one point where he was handling the ball and he was able to feed wide side of the rim. And, and that's something that I think had been missing, not just for, a few games during the, the middle stretch of the early part of the season here. But I, I think they, it was really effective of being able to say, look, you've got this length over everybody. They're going to try and defend us. We can pull away that secondary defender and you're wide open underneath the rim. So why not just try to catch those lobs for, for all of his criticisms of DeAndre Jordan, it seemed like it really worked for him. And again, 13 to 17 shootings, you can't go wrong if you're going to be that efficient at the rim. Yeah, Deion Waiters, like, I mean, eight assists for Deion Waiters tonight. He, for all of his struggles, and I want to get into that then, to that in a little bit, but he was a plus two for the night, which is rare when you lose by 12. Um, so Deion Waiters, eight assists for the night, a lot of them coming on the lobs. I did think that, you know, he, he was also four of 17 from the field. Like he could not finish at the rim for anything. It's just, I couldn't, it, it is amazing. It's like he plays with a double rim and nobody else is. And it's, it, it's incredible how he can, I don't know if it's, you know what? I can't remember the color guy's name for the Warriors. Uh, Jim Barnett, something Barnett, something like that. Yeah. He uh, yeah. he mentioned. I thought it was a really good point. It's like Waiters tries so hard and does a really great job. It puts so much of an effort into getting to the rim right. that at that point it's like he can't finish. It's like he's thinking so much about getting to the rim that at that point he forgets to finish, and that's a, that was a, a point that I've never heard or even thought of, and. Um, then he also pointed out, like, it's better if he's just throwing up the lobs as opposed to finishing. And I think it's a combination of that. I don't think Waiters has a particularly long wingspan. I think he's a little, like, his, his arms might be a little bit shorter just from, like, an aesthetics view. And maybe that right. comes into play when he's trying to finish at the rim. Because if that's true, it certainly would. And 
but I really like that 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 point that Jim Barnett made, and that might be so. And and he also pointed out that Waiters throwing the lobs for Whiteside was better, and we saw that on a number of occasions, and it was better. And I'm wondering maybe if the Heat caught on to something there, where okay, once you get to the rim, try to get rid of it. I think the Heat might have been much better off really towards the end of this game if Waiters had gotten rid of it. I just, really to go into this. Really quickly, go into the last two minutes and forty seconds when the when it was a seven point game. Goran Dragic hits a three pointer in the corner, um, and the net doesn't even move, and uh, and it's a seven point game with two forty left. And the Heat went. Uh, I'm sorry, the Warriors went on an eleven one run at that point. Mm-hmm. And I tracked the shots after that to see just kind of who was getting the ball. Dragic didn't take a shot for that eleven one run. He got a couple of shots at the end in garbage time that I'm not counting, but he didn't get a shot after that. Waiters. Took two shots. Whiteside took two shots and also had a turnover where he's probably going to shoot the ball if he didn't turn it over. So um, maybe Dragic stepping up there. I also noticed that Dragic was kind of giving the ball to Waiters when they were bringing up the court, and I don't know if that was a coach's decision because Dragic is such an effective off-the-ball shooter. I don't know if that was a decision, but I really would have liked to see Dragic, after hitting that three, just say, I'm taking over this game, and that's not something we saw. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate because I think, you know, we've talked about it far too many times, I guess, or in justification of why Waiters gets the kind of playing time he does. I mean, there are positives to that, to his presence there. I think those passing numbers clearly indicate that he is a good facilitator. It's just a, a, a tough night to watch him struggling at the rim like that. I'm looking it up, by the way. He does have a 6'7 wingspan, so... Maybe a little bit longer than we expected, and only six two and a half with shoes, so without shoes rather. So, yeah. I, I, I don't. I didn't mind waiters being in at the end. I just I didn't like how he was being used, and you know he was he was good defensively for the most part. I don't know the, the Heat didn't have any other options basically. Like you can't put Babbitt sure. out there. Tyler Johnson was out there. James Johnson was out there at the end. I don't. You can't put Wayne Ellington or Babbitt out there because of the defensive issues. You had that was the only option they had was Deion Waiters, but it might have been better to just say like, I don't know, I don't know if you could put him in the corner because maybe all of a sudden the Warriors play off of him because he's a thirty-two percent shooter from three-point range this year. I don't know if they respect that, and like I don't know what other options the Heat had, but it, mm-hmm. it you know, all that said, Waiters missed the two shots he took in the last two minutes and forty seconds of the game, and that didn't help the Heat at all. I mean, it might have been better if he got into the rim and, and actually made plays for Goran Dragic in the corner or, or whoever it might be, but he didn't. Can, can I go back to this Draft Express profile on waiters here? Please do, yes. Best case scenario projection for what kind of player, the player comp that he's most likely to fulfill, Rodney Stuckey. That's yeah. the best case. <laughs> the best case was that he'd be Rodney Stuckey. Um, I think now, Rodney then Stuckey again, I on think... this team. He could start on this team. Yeah, uh... Worst case, Stuckey. you want to guess? Ex-Heat player for an all-too-brief moment. Ooh. Worst case scenario? Worst case, yeah, com- player comp- comparison. Not Davis. No, Smush Parker. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Good old Smush, isn't yeah. It, is, uh, <laughs> isn't, didn't Smush Parker win a title? Oh, as the 14th man on the Lakers yeah, bench? Yeah, sure. that's uh, NBA champion Smush Parker that you're talking about. Sure. Yeah, sorry. I'm right along Mad Dog Mike Madsen. So, I mean, it's not really saying. I mean, a lot of guys have probably, and I think in that particular time in the early 2000s, too, that maybe 
wouldn't be in today's league. We're able to win a title. But yeah, I mean, Darko Milicic, he won a title before anybody else. Oh, no. Yeah, he did. Didn't he? Yeah, he won a title before LeBron James or Dwayne Wade or Carmelo Anthony. So, yeah, that's right. I mean, <laughs> I don't know that that's nearly. We should wipe that enough. record out. Like, we should just, like, you know what? You didn't. Like, give us the ring. Like, that's not fair. It doesn't count. <laughs> it doesn't. I wonder if, like, the rest of the Pistons, like, voted not to give him his playoff share of the pay or something like that. The kind of the the Rajon Rondo effect from last year. Fantastic. Um, All right. Any other notes that we want to talk about? Oh, yeah. Fast break points. There was a couple. This was a game that was, for as close as it was, for as long as it was, both teams really said, okay, this is what we do really well, and this is what we're going to do. For example, what I already said. The Heat, 58 points in the paint compared to Golden State's 36. Well, Golden State, they don't care about points in the paint. What they do like is fast break points. They had 34 fast break points compared to Miami's 12. So there was just a lot of those weird things. Um, another thing Miami did, a positive, only 11 turnovers in the game. The Warriors also only had 11 turnovers. So that was a really clean, probably one of the best played games that you've had all year. Overall, Impressive. Despite losing by 12. But another one of those weird stats was despite... Whiteside having 20 rebounds in the game. The Heat only re- got 45 rebounds the whole game. The Warriors actually out-rebounded the Heat. I would have never guessed that after watching the game, but they out-rebounded the Heat 48-45, to and that's because all of their players had multiple rebounds. Uh, right. uh, Draymond Green, uh, nine rebounds. Durant, eight rebounds. Zaza Pachulia, six rebounds. Seth, uh, Steph Curry had eight rebounds. Jesus. Patrick McCall, that, That's pretty rebounds. impressive, right? Yeah. David West and Andre Godala each had five rebounds. I mean, guys, all these guys had multiple. As a team, they out-rebounded the Heat. Outside <clears> of Hassan Whiteside, again, who had 20, the the second and third best rebounders for the Heat were guards. It was Deion Waiters and uh, and um, Tyler Johnson. I'm trying. I know sorry, I don't Ronnie, want to Ronnie, Ronnie Magruder was six and Tyler Johnson was seven. I don't want to focus too much on the Warriors, but was that the case last season with Bogut as well? Was he the team's leading rebounder? I honestly can't remember. I can't remember either. I mean, I okay. know there were games where like Draymond Green had triple doubles and he probably out rebounded Bogut. No, sure, yeah, in specific instances. I'm just oh. wondering, like, as far as like the overall season, if he was a team's leader, like in in Charlotte, like that's a team that that is specifically geared towards team rebounding knowing that their center Cody Zeller or or Roy Hibbert at this point in his career isn't going to be the strong rebounder and they they gang rebound by approach that's their design and Nick Batum actually is the one who leads the team in rebounding so um you know I guess that's just there are certain rosters certain team compositions that lend themselves better towards that and a guy like Whiteside is clearly going to grab more rebounds than anybody else on the Miami Heat roster, but this yeah, kind of were... reminded me of, and I wonder what you think about this. Those those Heat Pacers matches in the in the playoffs, when mm. the Pacers had like Roy Hibbert and those guys, and they just they were like, okay, we're just gonna keep feeding Roy Hibbert, and the Heat were just like, okay, keep feeding Roy Hibbert. Just he can't score a hundred points. Keep going, <laughs> like and. <laughs> In the end, it was LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh that were just like, yeah, just keep doing that. But we're LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh, and we're going to outscore you by 12 points regardless. And that's kind of, I thought, what happened a lot here. And really, the Pacers, for a lot of those games, played really sound games. Didn't turn the ball over. Didn't give up a a ton of what they shouldn't be giving up. Had a game plan and executed the game plan. But in the end, talent, you know, trumps that strategy. And that's what exactly happened in this game. Yeah, and we don't have Paul George either, so... 
Right. <laughs> I, I guess it didn't really matter for Indiana as well, but yeah, I, I mean, Deion Waiters this was, was like, yeah, you know, Paul George got me, baby. <laughs> good point. <laughs> good point. I'm sure he, he definitely believes that that they don't need Paul George as long as they have Deion there. So that's great. Anything else that you want to talk about before we wrap this up? No, I, I think I misspoke earlier when I said it was the end of a road trip, but they actually are playing against the Milwaukee Bucks, and that's a team that's historically beat up on Miami. So that should be another. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Another weird showing there. I'm, I'm wondering. I think Milwaukee's playing pretty good right now. Um, they had a strong showing from Michael Beasley tonight. Uh, and Giannis Antetokounmpo is clearly playing at a very high level. So that's going to be an interesting matchup and one that has historically created problems for Miami. So that should be an interesting one. Can you take their, tonight's performance and make that a positive? I'm wondering if right now the the team – oh, we should also point out – I don't know if you noticed this, but Anthony Chang of the Palm Beach Post, friend of the program, Anthony Chang, um, spoke that a, a Miami Heat source had indicated mm-hmm. that there are no intentions to trade Hassan Whiteside. Okay, that so seemed- I don't know. There's a couple of reporters that's, that tweeted this. So they – a couple of – they obviously got some sort of statement, right? And he what he said was a Heat spokesman, and a couple of reporters said this. And um, – mm-hmm. Where was it? So it really was worded funny. It, excuse me while I go through Anthony's time. Well, in a couple, yeah, a couple, I think a couple days earlier, we saw that Zach Lowe in mm-hmm. particular had said that Miami was open to trading everybody, including Hassan Whiteside. So today's announcement, if you want to call it that, stands as sharp contrast and i'm wondering what the truth is you know whether or not Whiteside is actually being shopped or maybe not actively being shopped i think maybe it's kind of a soft sell if somebody came up to to pat riley and spoke to him and said you know i'll trade you such and such package for Whiteside. i think even a gambler like riley couldn't pass up a great offer but maybe they're just not necessarily actively shopping him around so Anthony's tweet is, Hassan Whiteside is not available for trade, according to a Heat spokesman. Team is listening to whatever comes its way, but not shopping him. Yeah, that's the same thing. I, I mean... No, I mean, th- those are contradictory... Those, those two sentences contradict each other. One, Hassan Whiteside is not available for trade. If that's true, they're not listening. They're not... But then the second sentence is, team is listening to whatever comes its way, but not shopping him. I mean, that's like me saying, I'm not calling Rashida Jones... But if she were to call me and ask me on a date, I would go. Rashida Jones. Oh, yeah. No? Not a Rashida Jones fan? <laughs> no, I mean, sure, I guess. Yeah, Rashida It's Jones. funny. I was just earlier tonight, I was actually coincidentally watching. I, uh, what is on it? Date, uh, Rashida Jones? <laughs> no. Uh, I don't know what that is. I, I love you, man. I think I would. I love uh, you, man. Top, top yeah. five favorite movie of mine. Really? I'm just, five? I'm blindly saying that. I don't really know my top five. <laughs> top ten, at least. Top 12, for sure. Um, top top twelve po- favorite Paul Rudd films. Right now, <laughs> is that, is, oh, no, uh, no. Is that among your top twelve favorite Paul Rudd it's films? Among my top three Paul Rudd films. <laughs> With Clueless and Ant Man rounding out the top. <laughs> Definitely not Ant Man. I'm um, trying to think as, as randomly as possible. Well, Anchorman. He's an Anchorman. He is an Anchorman. So I don't know point. if you call that a Paul Rudd film, but I will count that. Yeah, sure. Um, and there's oh, another is... one that he's got with Jason Siegel. I'm trying to remember. That's I Love You, Man. Oh, uh, also uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Is he in that? Oh, he's the surf guy. He's the surf instructor yes. in that. Oh, okay. Kinu. So I'm my, Kinu, yeah. Yeah, those are my top three Paul Rudd films. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. yeah that, I think that's cool. 
Uh, oh, Rashida Jones. And Rashida Jones. Oh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> okay. So, right. Like, the statement is... Now, I don't want to... I'm I'm assuming Anthony Chang, the way he tweeted this was the way it was presented to him by a heat spokesman. I think I saw it another way like that from somebody else. Um, actually... I'm going to look around for a little bit. But oh, don't bother. I mean, we're not going to get anything clear. It's not like they're – look, we heard at the start of the season that they weren't trading Dragic yet. Everybody outside of a Miami market was claiming that Miami was actively shopping Dragic or at least listening to phone well, phone calls for him. So, I mean, we're not going to get Pat Riley on the record at this point. Oh, here's you know, the other one. Here's the other one. Manny Navarro, the Miami Herald, so two different newspapers. Mm. A Heat spokesman tells me Hassan Whiteside – is not on the trade market. Listening to trades is one thing. Shopping is another. So they're listening. Like if, if, if what what I don't know. If the Warriors said we'll give you Kevin Durant for Whiteside, like they would trade him, right? It's no, no, they wouldn't. <laughs> it's this is like it's yeah. such a dumb statement, and it, I'm not hating on the reporters here. I'm just I'm kind of hating on the Heat spokesman, whoever it was. It was just it's a really dumb statement that is so meaningless like if you're not calling people but you're still fielding calls and and quote-unquote listening what difference does it make uh, i mean maybe maybe there is a subtlety in that that we're not familiar with as neither of us being as far as i know general managers for an Lots nba team yeah that's for sure but i mean that's that the opportunity hasn't presented itself for either of us unless you're holding on on me <laughs> Um, because if that's the case, let me tell you, if you're a GM and I'm and I didn't know about it, I'm pretty pissed off. You'd be I'd an like to write this hotel second. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, even an assistant GM is a really lucrative position, so I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, maybe maybe there is, like I said, a nuance there that we're not privy to. Well, they're not tanking. Um, like it's not like okay, we're shopping Whiteside for the highest bidder. Like this isn't the Hawks getting rid of Kyle Korver. This is, but to say he's. To go back to that original Zach Lowe report to say that everybody on the Heat is available, even Hassan Whiteside, that's it's not like the Heat dismissed that. Zach Lowe didn't come out and report that the Heat are actively shopping all of their players. He just said that everybody's available, which is totally true. And or if it's not true, the Heat spokesman didn't say that it's not true. They said they're listening to offers. So it's not like this report is disputing Zach Lowe's report, and I want to make that clear. Nothing that this report is saying, that this Heat spokesman is saying, disputes anything Zach Lowe said. Like, no, there is at no point the Heat, no report has said that the Heat are actively shopping us on Whiteside. Nobody's ever said that. Well, this, it does dispute it because Lowe's report was that everybody's available for acquisition. Right. This this most recent statement says no, he's not available. But we're still no, taking no. The, the recent statement does say he's available. That they're fielding, that they're listening the calls. That's available. They just said that they're not actively shopping them. Nobody said he's not available for trade. They just said we're not active. We're not shopping Hassan Whiteside for trade. No, no. You said in Anthony Chang's trade, and I think Manny Navarro's as well, is that Hassan Whiteside is not available to, for trade. They're still taking calls and just not actively shopping him. That's where the contradiction in the in the in the Heat spokesperson statement is, is that he's not available. But yeah, we're still taking calls just in case. It's like that's that's where the contradiction lies, which is what's ridiculous, and it's that's where semantics. it contradicts. Zach Lowe's statement too is that you know yeah, he's saying everybody's available. The Heat spokesperson is saying not Hassan. Everybody else maybe not that we're taking calls or we're not we're not aggressively shopping him, which is kind of ridiculous. I mean, I don't know. Right. I mean, well, again, that's why I'm saying like the two guys. sentences contradict themselves when they yeah, say absolutely. White side is available for trade, but we're listening to calls, but not shopping them. It's like okay, like not all of that can be true. 
Right. Right. So. I feel like I'm in a math class learning Euler circles all it's, over again. Solve for X. I don't know. What, you, what the hell is a Euler circle? Euler circle? Like, like uh, all German shepherds all do- are dogs, but not all dogs are German shepherds. And like the, the intersection of two circles, you know, you have that little okay. area where they meet together. Like all assists are assists, <laughs> but not all assists are assists. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Way to go. Nice, nicely done. Okay. Well, we might as well end on that. All right. Thank. That's all we got for today. Thank you for listening. Whether you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever you do to listen to the podcast, we appreciate it. Get in touch with the show on Twitter at Locked on Heat or by email where you can send us your mailbag questions, comments, or sponsorship opportunities. That's LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. And if you're not subscribed already, you should do that. And then once you do that, go to iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. You really have no idea how much we appreciate that, number one. And number two, that really does help us in the iTunes rankings. Help us in the iTunes rankings. If you haven't left a review, you should do that. Five stars. It would be great. Anyway, that's all we got. Thanks for joining me, David. Absolutely, Wes. Hey again, Wes here. So one of the reasons our boss, David Locke, started the Locked On Podcast Network is because podcasts are hot. I mean, of course they are. You're listening to one right now. And if your company is looking to reach listeners as awesome as you are, you should be sponsoring this podcast. Locked on Heat is listened to by 95% men, 74% of which are between the ages of 18 and 44. According to a recent study, podcast listeners are 65% more likely to engage with a sponsor than within any other media outlet. Plus, our rates are reasonable. Or you can decide that for yourself. Just email us at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com to find out more about sponsoring Locked on Heat and engaging the audience you want to reach.